It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. Cruel Coven. Hello, muffins. My name is Tori. I'm Katie, and this is Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. The podcast. <laughs> We're back again, <laughs> again for the second week in a row. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Anybody new listening to this is like, no, I'm not listening to these They're ladies like- cackle. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to go leave us a fucking one-star review because uh-huh. we've already fucked it all up. It'd be fine if they didn't laugh. <laughs> yeah, stop having a good time well, talking be about better that. if you did laugh, okay? <sighs> yeah. Try it sometime. Or maybe they need to shit. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little grumpy when I'm constipated, too. Yeah, true. <sighs> anyway, how are you? I'm great. I have something to tell you. You do? Yes. Do I know it yet? No. Okay. It's not. I mean, it's not that exciting, oh. but you'll probably think it's cool. Okay. Do you remember... Mercedes McCambridge that I talked about. She did the voice of Pazuzu oh. on The Exorcist. And I talked about her on our um, Cursed Horror movie yeah. episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My dad is very, very into local history. Yeah, he is. He's I, got that yeah. Facebook group with thousands of members. Mm-hmm. And he goes around and he takes pictures and he posts shit all the time and goes yeah. through old yearbooks. And oh, he's obsessed. He's an actual... Grundy County historian. He truly is. He's in the um, historical society and everything. Yeah. As a member. A dues paying member. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he posted a picture of her in the, the group oh, on Facebook okay. the other day. And he's like, what do we know about this local celebrity? And I'm like, local? What the fuck? So... I look it up because I, I remembered her name and picture, but I couldn't remember where she was from. Yeah. I'm like, oh, she's Pazuzu. You know, there's people that won't even type the name Pazuzu. Really? Because they're so afraid. Yeah. And no I'm just kidding. like, Pazuzu, Pazuzu, Pazuzu. <laughs> um, drag me to hell, Pazuzu. It, it would be an upgrade. An honor. Anyway, she is from Kinsman. Are you mother fucking no. kidding? I'm serious. The voice of Pazuzu is... From, from Kinsman. From Kinsman. Holy butt sack. Wow. For everybody that has no idea where that is, that's like... Which is what, everyone. Seven miles from where we grew up? Yeah. Tinier than where we grew up. Mm-hmm. What is there, like 200 people there? If that. If maybe, that. I mean, who knows now? I don't but. know. The tiniest little town. Truly. Isn't that crazy? She's the one, her adult son got into fraud and forged her name and then went and killed his whole family. Wow. Yeah. And she was Pazuzu. Wow, that's but crazy. Wild Bill that, coming like, in clutch. Yeah, what a small world. <gasps> so then I commented, and mind you, this group is full of small town, mostly old people. Yeah. This Facebook group. 50 and so and I'm up. like, oh yeah, she was the devil in, uh, or she was the <laughs> demon in the exorcist and her son killed her whole family. Yeah. And I got like 15 <gasps> faces, you know, like the <gasps> oh, surprise yeah. face reaction uh-huh. on Facebook. The wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, there's my story. You know the, <gasps> the <no>. wow. <laughs> you know that. <gasps> The gas, wow, the gas cool. face. What a fun fact on a Weird, rainy day. Right? Kinsman, Illinois. And I guess she um was like embarrassed to ever say that she was from Kinsman, Illinois. Really? Yeah. Well, because she was like going to be a, like a star, yeah. you know. Okay, Mercedes. Mm-hmm. I'd be embarrassed from being from Kinsman, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, as I am from where I am. <laughs> well, okay. Not anyway, a lot wow. you can do about it. That was fun and exciting. Fun little fact. You guys, I have a little bit of a correction. From last week. You? 
I do. You and do? it's I'm tattling on myself. Did anyone notice when I asked about the QOTDW, I didn't say QOTDW. I only said QOTD. I said, Katie, do you have a QOTD for me today? Wow, I'm surprised I didn't correct you. I know. Right then and there. Right? On the spot. No, I was listening to our episode this morning on my way to drop the baby off at the sitter. And I heard myself and I was appalled. I was appalled. You're excommunicated now. Truly. Goodbye. So today... Do we have a QOTTW? We do. We've got one from Amber on Twitter. Oh, this hi, is, Amber. This is, I think, um, an older one that we just haven't used yet. Sorry. You're not um, just our leftovers, Amber. No, we love Amber. <laughs> we appreciate I you. talk to Amber on Twitter all the time. She wants to know, what is a word that you hate? Awning. Really? I fucking hate that word. Awning. 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 Moist. We know moist is a terrible one. A lot of people one. hate moist. I don't mind. I don't care about moist. I fucking moist. hate moist. It just yeah. sounds gross. Yeah. Moist. I don't really like panties. I don't like moist panties. <laughs> and I search. Awning, though, is my one, like the, my go-to rapid fire. Awning. Awning. Mine is tender. Oh. Tender. Yeah. Specifically when talking about food or like a body part. Tender. Like my breast is tender. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Tender. tender. I don't know if it's like the N and the D sound. Nd, nd, tender. Nd, nd, yeah. My spleen is tender. Tender. Isn't yeah. that disgusting? It is really gross. But awning mm. is just the word for me that yeah. I just... And someone yeah. in Morris has... Or at least they used to. I haven't seen it around, so maybe they died or moved. But um, they used to have their license plate as awning. Oh, really? Yeah. And <laughs> I would see it all see the time. It all the fucking time. <laughs> you know what I see all the time? <sighs> On Facebook. Chicken tenders? Well, that. I keep seeing this recipe for um, stuffed shells, and it's like tender jumbo shells. Ew. Tender. I don't really like the word gooey. Yeah. Gooey. gooey. Remember Gooey Louie? Yeah. You pulled Ugh. the snot out of the yeah. nose. What a fucking sick ass game. <laughs> right? We loved it. <laughs> we fucking loved it. We played it in my grandma's hallway on Christmas. Yeah. Those are the main ones, I think. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of, we should ask, we'll put in the dis- in the discussion post yeah. what their words are that they don't like. Because Coven, I'm sure you have some juicy words. Let me know if I've convinced you to not like tender. Yeah. Now. I don't really like tender now. You're never going to hear it without thinking of me. Wow. What an enigma. Truly. Do you have an article for me? Yeah. Do you Jesus. know that I say truly a lot? <laughs> truly. And also, you know, could you imagine? Do you know what I say? What? To the kids when they're being like rambunctious. I will go, kids, sincerely. <laughs> Just sincerely. Sincerely. Not sincerely. It off. I'm sincerely done with your shit right now. I don't blame you. Sincerely. Sincerely. Truly. Okay. So my article is a bit of just like a funny one for today. I feel like I was very heavy last, last week's week. episode was very so heavy. I just wanted to go a little bit lighter today and my article is from upi.com and the title is quote escaped hamster braves freezing temperatures to get to the candy store oh bud yeah and he's kind of <laughs> he's you know I don't like little tiny animals they freak me out but he's kind of cute Yeah, he's got the eyes. So my article says, quote, animal rescuers in Scotland are searching for the owners. Oh, they're looking for his owners. I hadn't read it yet. I never. Fun fact, I never read my articles ahead of time. (laughs) I just find them. I see the headline and then I read them to you. Animal rescuers in Scotland are searching for the owners of an escaped hamster that braved sub freezing temperatures to make its way to the candy store. Did they not give him enough candy? Truly. Those owners, come on. Come on, owners, come on. The Scottish SPCA said the hamster was caught on CCTV footage clinging to a person who <laughs> entered the Poundland candy shop in Glasgow on New Year's Eve. Oh. 
Isn't that cute? Could you imagine being the one that he was clinging to, though? No. Yeah. The hamster jumped off. Do any of you have hamsters? I wonder if any of the coven has hamsters. The hamster jumped off the apparently unaware shopper. Oh, they didn't even know. No. (laughs) Plot twist. Inside the store and was soon captured and turned over to the SPCA. So he literally just hitched a fucking ride and dropped that person like she was hot. He worked so hard to fucking get to that store and he was immediately removed. He knew what he fucking wanted. I wonder if he got any candy. Rude. No, they fucking took him out. Rude ass people. Animal officer Amy Sturton said that the hamster is in good health despite its journey through the street and temperatures that reached a low of five degrees. We've, and this is a quote, we've named the little adrenaline junkie Tom Cruise for now. That ruins him though. (laughs) Given his mission impossible-esque attempt to get some treats from Poundland. Poundland? (laughs) Could you... That's like it Dollar sounds, Tree. That's yeah, like, but not it, Dollar Tree. I like, understand like yeah. pound there is yeah. a currency, but it reminds me of like Pound Town, like yeah. fucking a porn store, yep. right? Going to Pound Town. Woo, Pound Land. All the way to Pound Land. <laughs> Sturton said officials are now attempting to find the hamster's owners. Given how unusual this year has been, it feels appropriate to round off 2020 with such a bizarre job, she said, end quote. Oh, Wow. I hope they gave him some candy, little Tom Cruise. Me too, Tom Cruise. Little boy. Okay, what about you, Katie? I've got one from Australia. You've got something for me? I do. Okay. This is from HuffPost.com, and it's written by Rod McGurk. Okay, let's hear what Rod has to say. The title is Naked Fugitive Rescued from Crocodile-Infested Mangroves by Fishermen. Wow. Okay. That's fucking weird. Is it Canberra, Australia? I don't know. It's probably very wrong. It says, two fishermen have rescued a naked fugitive who they found sitting on a tree branch in Australian crocodile habitat. Oh. Cam Faust said Wednesday he and fellow recreational fisher Kev Joyner heard Luke Voskrensky, 40, yell for help on Sunday as they set crab traps from their dinghy in mangroves on the outskirts of the northern city of Darwin. Okay. Faust said Voskrensky, who was covered in mud, cuts, and insect bites, had explained that he had been lost for four days, survived by eating snails, and had used his clothes for bits and pieces over the way. Whatever that means. It didn't make sense to us, Faust said, referring to the explanation for his nudity. He had a nest made up in the tree, and he was only laying a meter above the water, and there were crocs in the water, so he has done well to survive. Joyner said the friends hesitated before bringing Voskrensky, I'm going to say the guy, on board. (laughs) Once we'd seen how bad he was and how many cuts he had all over him, and he was dehydrated and pretty weak, we thought we'd better get him in the boat, Joyner said. We thought he just might have had a big night after New Year's and got lost and done himself a mischief in the bush. Oh, God. (laughs) Done himself a mischief in that bush. Yeah. Faust said he stripped to his underwear and handed the guy his shorts and a beer as the trio made their way back to Darwin. He looked like he needed a beer, although he was in a bad way, Faust said. (laughs) An ambulance was waiting at a Darwin boat ramp when they arrived. The guy was taken to a Darwin hospital where he was placed under police guard as he was treated for exposure. Oh. Police said he had been free on bail after being charged with armed robbery, multiple aggravated assaults, deprivation of liberty, and stealing. But he had cut off <laughs> he had cut off his electronic monitoring device last oh. week and attempted to evade police. Didn't they know that he fucking a- cut it off? I don't know. Wow. I just went up into a fucking tree. Australia. 
Because he was in the hospital, he was excused from attending court on Tuesday to face new charges of breaching bail and aggravated assault. Faust said he decided against visiting him in the hospital after discovering he had been wanted by police. So he was really going to be like, befriend this guy. And then he's like, nope. Nope, sorry. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Goodbye. That is weird. Like, yeah. how do you, like... He was just up in a tree, dangling above crocodiles. Hanging out. Just make, hanging out. Having a mischief in the bush. Just a, a little... A small mischief in the bush. Just a little bit of a mischief. So I want to know who you're doing, who you're covering this week, because I don't know. You didn't I tell me. I am talking about the kidnapping... Ooh. Of Bobby Greenlease. Okay. How old is Bobby? He was six. Oh, honey. Mm-hmm. This case has been called the crime of the century. Once only second to the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, which wow. was huge. Um, in terms of like publicity and public outrage, it was international sure. news. It rocked the entire state of Missouri in the 50s. And I had never heard of him. No. Until mm-hmm. I was doing some good old fashioned Googling. Okay. Looking for a case to do. So I got information on this case from the FBI website, the Greenlease family website, and a book called Zero at the Bone by John Heidenry. Okay. Heidenry. 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 I think that's how you say it. Um, fun fact, Zero at the Bone, the book's title, it comes from a line in Emily Dickinson's poem. Oh, okay. A Narrow Fellow in the Grass. I'm not going to read you Emily Dickinson's poem. Okay, poems. thanks. <laughs> Do you know that was the very first poetry book I ever got was by Emily Dickinson? I remember you. And I was like, I don't know, that. seven or eight or yeah. something. I think I had my grandma get it for me for Christmas. Yeah. It's like one of the yeah. earliest number one books I remember getting. And number two um, presents that I remember. Mm-hmm. That's cute. Yeah. So just, would you just sock it to me? I'm going to sock it to you. I'm going to start on the day in question, the day of the kidnapping. Okay. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit here. As one I'll should. let you know where we're going, though. Okay. okay? Yes. Keep me so, on track. At 10.55 a.m. on September 28th, 1953... A woman came to the front door of the French Institute of Notre Dame de Sion. I'm not French. No, not me sorry. either. French it's okay. Hard. I'm sorry, France. Um, in Kansas City, Missouri. This was and still is like this particular building because there's a few of these that are kind of named the same thing. They're schools. This one is a elementary school. Okay. For little kids. Got it. It's a private, expensive Catholic school oh. where a child could get a first-rate education. Mm. A rich child can mm-hmm. get a first-rate education. Um, so this woman, she comes to the front door, she rings the bell, and Sister Miranda answers. Um, the woman, okay, so the woman who rang the doorbell, she tells the sister that she's six-year-old Bobby Greenlease's aunt, and that Bobby's mother had just had a heart attack and was taken to St. Mary's Hospital. This woman said that she was shopping with her sister, Bobby's mother, at the Country Club Plaza when she just fell over and it was really bad. Oh, God. This woman had come to pick Bobby up. You know, like his dad was already at the hospital. This was a family emergency. The woman was visibly upset, which she kept apologizing for. And she said she was sent to pick little Bobby up because his mom was asking to see him. Sister Miranda was very mild-mannered. She wasn't the type to probe or ask questions. She wasn't the, like, authoritative type. Sure. So Sister Miranda went and pulled Bobby from class. She told him that his aunt was here to pick him up, but she didn't tell him anything about his mom having a heart attack. Well, that's she good. She probably figured, like, I'll just let her tell him. It's yeah. family business. She didn't want to upset him. Sure. So before I continue, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, backstory on the Greenlease family. Little Bobby's parents were Robert Greenlease Sr. and Virginia Greenlease. They were fucking loaded. 
Really? As in multi-millionaires in the 50s. Robert Sr. had made his fortune expanding General Motors across the Great Plains. So he owned car dealerships from like Texas to South Dakota. He was a Cadillac man. He was the first to introduce the Cadillac west of the Mississippi River. And it was a big deal. Virginia, Bobby's mom, was from Kansas City. She worked as a nurse for years before she met Robert Sr. in 1939. They had a daughter together, also named Virginia in 1941 and then they had Bobby in 1947. So Robert Sr., he was quite a bit older than Virginia, not that it matters, but he's in his late 60s. Oh now wow. When he's got a 6-year-old Bobby that goes missing. Okay. So he also he had a previous marriage and he they had adopted a son and this son is now an adult. So he's not at home. He's much much older than than these two kids. They lived in Mission Hills, Kansas, which is right outside of Kansas City, in this extravagant 25-room mansion where they love to have parties and entertain and have gatherings. Sounds that sounds like a terrible. Nightmare, right? Yeah. I don't want to have a party. Bobby loved school. He loved going to school. He was in first grade. On the morning in question, he was really excited to go because he got to wear the Jerusalem cross that day. I love that. So these crosses were awarded each week to students who had gone above and beyond in some capacity, other schoolwork, or they helped someone, whatever the reasoning was. So Bobby was really excited to wear it and show it off. You remember that feeling like when you were little being a recognized for when something. you were fucking peacekeeper of the week yeah yeah i forgot about that <laughs> oh, i love Peacekeeper that. of the week <laughs> we should award in the group i was gonna hey. say we should give everyone a fucking <laughs> jerusalem cross uh-huh. each week one person yes. should get it but do you remember that feel like just being like when you're little especially now yes. i don't want anyone to look at me i don't but want like, any recognition now like being yeah. little and just feeling like yeah. you're super fucking important yes So that's how Bobby was feeling this day. Okay. Virginia pinned Bobby's cross to his school uniform jacket with a red ribbon, and Bobby was, he was feeling cool as hell. Robert Sr. dropped him off at school that morning in a powder blue Cadillac, Mm -hmm. like he did every morning, but little did anyone know Bobby had already long since been targeted. No, I don't like that. That makes me feel really, oh, inside, like gross. It gets pretty rough. Bobby was a very trusting little boy, and after Sister Miranda pulled him from his first grade Latin class, mind you, six-year-old learning Latin, I couldn't do it now, um, he walked right to the strange woman that was there to pick him up, took her hand without hesitation, and the two walked out of the school with the woman's arm around his shoulders. So they, whoever this was that was targeting him, also knew that he would just be fine, too. Yeah, or they hoped. Yeah, yeah, you know. And it worked for him. Yeah. Ugh. Sister Moran watched as the woman ushered Bobby into a taxi and they drove off. So at around 1130 that same morning, another sister from the school, Sister Marthana, she decided to call the Greenlees house to see if there was any word on how Virginia was doing. Word had gotten around that she had a heart attack and so she's just calling to check up. And how long ago, or how long after he left was this? This is only like 45 minutes after he oh, left. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But guess who answered the phone? Virginia. Virginia, because she did not have a fucking heart attack. Wow. She was perfectly fine until she heard that a strange woman came to the school and picked up her son and took him. Katie, could you imagine? No. If you, if you got a call like that? No. What would you do? Like, what would you do? I don't know. I don't know. I can't even think about it. Like, mm-mm. Especially, well, especially like 45 minutes after God, it happened. I can't. And I don't blame the sisters. Like, no. they, they 
didn't have those protocols back then at the schools. They didn't have the check-ins and check-outs, ID checks. Yeah, they, because what they, year is this again? 53, 1953. Yeah. They didn't have any of that. And I don't even know if the doors were locked. Pro- now, I highly doubt like, it. Like going into my kid's school to pick them up, it's a whole ass process. I have to scan my ID. Yeah. Like, well, to even get in, you have to buzz in. They weren't and even... Then, you're only allowed in the office, yeah. and then they have to scan your ID and everything. So our doors weren't locked until after nine eleven at our school. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Think so they like were. when we were really little, uh-huh. anyone could have walked yep. in, and I'm sure they did. Yeah, it's scary to think about. And then there's the fact that Bobby's older sister, Virginia, she had just started at a different school, so there wasn't any question like, well, why isn't this woman picking sure. her up too? And plus, Bobby showed like no sign of not knowing this woman. He just walked up to her, took her hand, went with her without saying a word. And to Bobby, I mean, I think he knew the woman was a stranger. Yeah. He knew he'd never seen her before, but she was an adult. And right. adults meant authority. Right. You didn't question that. So he thought he was just doing what he was supposed to do by going with her. And it just breaks my heart. Yeah. He just thought he was being a good boy. God, and he was probably having such a good day. Mm-hmm. He had his fucking cross on. Yeah. And now, and like for Virginia to hear this about 45 minutes after, you know that they've got a head start. Yeah. A pretty big head start. So Virginia hung up with Sister Marthana and immediately called Robert Sr. I'm sure like freaking the fuck out, not knowing what to do. He rushed home from work and he called the Kansas City Chief of Police, who then reported the abduction to the FBI and asked for their assistance. So now we're going to switch lanes and we're going to talk about the people plural, who abducted Bobby. Okay. The woman who came into Bobby's school and took him was a 41-year-old named Bonnie Hetty. She was the friend of a man, an ex-Marine named Carl Hall, who was 34. They'd known each other for four months. Oh, wow. I'm going to tell you more about Carl in a second. Okay. Bonnie was described as a redhead, five foot three. She used to be a horsewoman. I don't know if that meant like breeding them, riding them, or raising them, but a horsewoman nonetheless. Bonnie also used to breed pedigree boxers, fancy ass dogs, but she'd fallen on hard times and things just weren't so glamorous anymore. She couldn't do the boxers anymore. I guess not. Okay. I mean, she was a really bad alcoholic, so I don't know if that, I'm sure that played into, I don't know. She owned a small house, like not a shack, but nothing super impressive, and she started doing sex work out of her bedroom. Carl Hall was described as stocky, five foot ten. At the time of Bobby's abduction, he'd been out of prison for five months. He'd been arrested just over a year earlier for a string of robberies on taxi drivers. Um, Carl came from money. He, at one point, had quite a bit of money. But he was one of those who, he, he just threw everything away on alcohol, gambling, cars, fancy-ass suits, sex. And that led him to be like, well, fuck, I've got to do something, hence the robberies. Prison really turned him into something way worse, like a hardened criminal, if you will. And he pretty much spent all of his time inside thinking how he could get away with the perfect crime. He wanted money. He wanted a lot of money very quickly. He owed several people a shit ton of money, and he just, he wanted his old lifestyle back. That reminds me of H.H. Holmes a little bit. Yeah fucker. So while he was sitting in prison, fantasizing and contemplating about how he was going to get this money, an old classmate of his came to mind. Carl had gone to Kemper Military School with a guy named Paul Greenlease. That is Robert Sr.'s adult son from his previous marriage. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that is Bobby's brother. Uh-huh. 
So he learned about the Greenleaf family through reading newspapers in prison. He figured out that they were worth millions. He's like, oh, yeah, I went to school with this guy. So it just that's kind of how it all like yeah. clicked and connected for him. Obviously, the plan was to ask the Greenleaf family for ransom oh, after sure. they abducted Bobby. So that was how he was going to get all this money. While they were planning the abduction, Carl had told Bonnie, because he was so desperate for an accomplice, he didn't want to do it on his own, that he would take the blame if they were ever caught. And that her cover story was supposed to be that he, that Carl had lied to her and told her that the child was his from a previous marriage. So he was just going to show up with this kid one day and be like, yeah, this is my kid. I, I don't think so, Carl. But it didn't really take Bonnie much to be persuaded into the plan. She you was, don't trust a criminal, no, Bonnie. No, but she was broke. And in love with Carl. No. Mm-hmm. Yep. Isn't that how it always goes? <sighs> yep. So when Carl got out of prison and met Bonnie, he pretty much had his plan all worked out. And in the meantime, he acted like as a pimp for Bonnie so they could make some money. Now, like I said, Bonnie was in love with Carl. Carl was either too stupid to see it or he just didn't care. And yeah. Bonnie couldn't get it through her head that Carl only wanted her as an accomplice. Yeah. And he was planning on leaving her ass in the dust as soon as he got what he wanted. They were both severe, severe alcoholics. And it's reported that Carl was heavily addicted to amphetamines and he used morphine when he could get his hands on it. So these two are pretty much drunk and high the entire time this takes place. Sure. Can only imagine like how Bobby, how were they taking care of a little boy? And Carl was also telling Bonnie about like all of these plans that he had for the two of them. Oh. After they had all of this money. He wanted to go like fuck off in La Jolla and build a house with a circular bed and sit there and look at the ocean. He said that he was going to take her to Europe. Like just Europe as if there aren't 44 different countries over there. They're going to go to Europe. Carl's a liar. So it sounded really good to Bonnie. And she was just drunk all of the time anyway. And she just really thought he was cute. So she went along with it. Now, here are some of the things that Carl and Bonnie did to prepare for the abduction of Bobby. Bonnie would call the Greenlee's house, acting like an official from Bobby's school. She would talk to the maid, who told her everything she wanted to know about the family, about the kids, their ages, no. their routines, yeah, the family pets, everything. Carl took Bonnie's station wagon to a radio company and had a shortwave converter installed in the car's radio so that he could listen to police communications. Carl and Bonnie actually drove to the Greenlee's house and followed Robert Sr. as he drove his kids to school, so they learned the family's routine to a T. And Carl even considered going into the house and just taking Virginia, the daughter Virginia. She was the initial target. They thought for a long time that they were going to take her. But I guess Carl saw her one day get out of the car or something and he didn't realize because she was 11. Mm -hmm. He didn't realize. He said that she was more mature and older than he thought. And he figured taking like a six-year-old would be easier like to to persuade the six-year-old and get him to come with them. Sure. So Carl and Bonnie planned and prepped everything. And they finally decided that September 28th, 1953 was going to be the day. At 7.30 a.m., Carl and Bonnie hit the road with Bonnie's dog. They drove up Highway 71 in Bonnie's Plymouth station wagon. They eventually stopped at a bar where they took some shots for liquid courage, I guess. And they left the bar with some breath mints for Bonnie because she was about to go into the school. 
So they got her some breath mints. And by 8.50 a.m., they were parked outside of Bobby Greenlease's school. They watched Robert Sr. drop Bobby off. They watched Bobby enter the school. They watched Robert Greenlease drive away. And now that they knew that Bobby was indeed at school that day, they drove to the downtown area and parked at a drugstore, and they waited some more. At 10.30, Bonnie walked to the Toadman Cab Service office and asked for a driver to take her to Bobby's school. And as we know, she arrived there at 10.55. This is when she went in with her bullshit story and took Bobby. So they're in the taxi now. This is right after she took him from the school. So Bonnie starts asking Bobby all of these questions during the taxi ride. She asks him what his dog's names are, what was the name of his parrot, and he answered. He told her about how his parents owned two Cadillacs. Like, he, that's sad to me. He thought yeah. that was really cool. Wow. And I just imagine his dad, Cadillac man, you know, it's mm-hmm. sad. But then Bonnie admitted to Bobby that they weren't really going to be visiting his mom. Not his mom, but his dad, she told him. But before they saw his dad, they were going to go get some ice cream. The taxi driver dropped Bonnie and Bobby off at the station wagon where Carl was waiting. And Carl said, hello, Bobby. How are you? Bobby said, fine. Bonnie put Bobby in the front seat of the station wagon in between her and Carl. And Carl began to drive. Bobby didn't complain. He didn't cry. He didn't ask where they were going. He just, like, chatted with them like a little kid does. Aww. (laughs) He trusted them just because they were adults. Yeah. So eventually they end up in Johnson County, about five miles from the Kansas-Missouri border and 12 miles from Kansas City. They drive down this isolated farm road until they came to this concealed spot. There were, like, crops growing and a bunch of hay up on a rake, so... Carl thought it would be a good spot. Carl stopped the car. Bobby noticed some really big green hedge apples on the ground, and he thought they were really cool. So Bonnie was like, I'll go get some for you. Carl got out to open the tailgate and let the dog out, and Bonnie chased after the dog. This was an excuse, I think, like offering to get the hedge apples and follow the dog because Bonnie knew what Carl was about to do. Carl grabbed a plastic tarp from the back of a station wagon. He spread it out on the ground, and then he went back up to the front and sat down next to Bobby in the car. He pulled out a piece of clothesline, wrapped it around Bobby's neck, and attempted to strangle him. It didn't work because the clothesline was too short. Bobby pulled at the rope. He kicked and yelled. He fucking fought like hell. But this was a six-year-old little boy against a grown-ass coward. Carl got a hold of Bobby. He threw him to the floor of the car. He held him down with his feet. He struck him in the head with the butt of his revolver, knocking three of Bobby's teeth out. Mm. The blow stunned Bobby for a second, and that's when this fucking monster fired two shots. No. The first one missed. The second one killed Bobby instantly. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. This is right after they took him from the school. This is probably when (sighs) the nun was on the phone with his mother. Yeah. Probably at that, right at this time. I can't even, why, what the fuck? I don't understand. Are they that, so did Carl want ransom or no? Because you're, how are you going to get fucking ransom? Yeah. They're going to make it. That was still the plan. Oh, my God. Uh And they couldn't have just fucking left him alive. And then returned him. Or just let him go somewhere. Right. So Carl wrapped Bobby's body in the plastic. He placed it in the back of the station wagon, covering it with a blanket. Bonnie helped him clean up. There was blood everywhere. She put Carl's gun holster and his glasses into the glove compartment, and they took off back to Kansas City. Bonnie didn't realize, though, that her brown velvet hat had fallen off. When Carl shot the gun, the dog went crazy, so she chased after the dog, lost her hat. She didn't even realize that she left it there, that she didn't have it. Mm. 
And Bonnie was mad. She had no right to be mad because she she knew. Yeah. What she, she abducted a kid. Right. So I don't care if you're mad, Bonnie. But she thought that Carl was going to strangle him. She's like, why did you shoot him? I think she was mad because there was a mess. Yeah. She's like, why did you shoot him? I thought you were going to strangle him. And Carl just said, I tried to, but Ugh. the rope was too short. I had to shoot him. So from what I read, the reason why Carl wanted to kill Bobby right away was so that he couldn't identify him after the fact. What a piece and of shit. He must have known, though, that he wasn't going to be able to provide proof of life and that they would probably want proof of life. Like, I don't know what his train of thought was. But he did mention that at one point. He didn't want, he was never going to leave Bobby alive. But from what I gathered, Bonnie was, like I said, she was never not drunk. She would later claim that she never really agreed to killing Bobby at all until the day before the kidnapping. So I think that her infatuation with Carl, the promise of all this money, the alcohol, the drugs, she knew Carl was going to kill him. Mm -hmm. She was just so persuaded and so far gone that she allowed it to happen. Like there was no going back. So to really drive home the fact that this murder was premeditated, a few weeks before the abduction and murder, Carl purchased a 50-pound bag of lime that he stored in Bonnie's basement that will pretty much eat up a body. Oh. Yeah. And Ugh. yeah. And he went and bought that 38 caliber revolver, the holster, a box of cartridges. He purchased stationery for the ransom note, which I'll get to that, and prepaid envelopes. He bought the plastic tarp. He bought a shovel that he told the store clerk he was only going to use once, so it didn't matter what kind it was. He stole a license plate and replaced the one on Bonnie's car, and he dug a grave ahead of time in Bonnie's backyard. Wow. Okay. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. I have thoughts about that. So you know damn well he wasn't going to be going down for anything. No. No, in his mind, he was going to pin it all on Bonnie, not vice versa. Mm -hmm. He he had it all planned out. He thought, well, he thought that he thought of everything. So the ransom letter. Carl wanted a million dollars, but he got to thinking and a million dollars in cash inside of a duffel bag would just be too heavy for him. So he did a little math in his little pea brain, and he decided that $600,000 would be perfect. Oh, okay. It was the largest ransom ever paid in the U.S. at the time. Oh my God, so they paid it. At the time, and it would equal about $10 million today. Wow. So just before the kidnapping, Carl picked up a copy of the Daily Oklahoma newspaper, He knew that Robert Greenlease had a dealership in Oklahoma City, and he thought that it would be perfect to find a Greenlease auto advertisement and incorporate that ad into the ransom letter. He also thought that maybe police would think the abductor was from Oklahoma if he got one of those, if he used one of those newspapers. Sure. So he cut out the ad, he wrote the ransom letter, he put them both in an envelope and addressed it to the Greenlease residence. Only the two fucking idiots got the address wrong. Imagine that. And they were fucking there. Imagine How dumb that. are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What they were drunk. They were drunk and high. Um, keep in mind, this was all done several days before they kidnapped Bobby. Even the ransom letter. They didn't send it yet, but they had it written and ready oh, to go. Oh, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to these dipshits shortly. So... When we left off with the Greenlees family, Mom Virginia had just gotten the call from the sister at Bobby's school. She found out that he'd been taken, not even knowing that Bobby had just been murdered. And Virginia called Robert Sr. Robert Sr. called the police chief, Bernard Brannon. Robert asked the police chief to meet him at a location off 29th Street, and when they both got there, Robert told the chief what had happened, and he asked the chief to follow him back home. 
to the Greenlease house. This is it's kind of like their headquarters throughout this whole thing is is their mansion. So they're all at the house. Robert Sr., Chief Brannon, two detectives show up, Harry Nesbitt and Richard Bennett, and Virginia. Um, she had to be given a sedative because she was just so upset she couldn't oh, she couldn't handle it. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, sorry. who can't handle it? But no. She just, she couldn't. Oh. So she, Virginia was resting. The daughter, Virginia, was brought home from school just to be safe, and family friends started gathering at the house. Just a whole whirlwind of people at the Greenlease house. Like I said, it was their headquarters. Police didn't make an announcement right away about Bobby being abducted, just in case there was a chance that they could find him quickly, in case they got scared and killed him or something, sure. or fled yeah. or whatever. So three o'clock rolled around. They had gotten nowhere. And they decided to officially announce that Bobby had been kidnapped. The FBI is called in, and technically, this FBI assistant special agent, Wesley Grapp, he was asked to help. It wasn't a federal crime. The agent told reporters that the FBI was kind of waiting to see if it was going to turn into a federal crime, like if they took Bobby across state lines or something like that. So at around 6 p.m. the day of the kidnapping, everyone at the Greenlee's house sat down to watch the news to see if there was any reporting on Bobby, and there was. It turned out that a newscaster was interviewing the taxi driver who dropped Bonnie and Bobby off at the station wagon in the drugstore parking lot live on the air. So the taxi driver... Wow. That drove them back. This taxi driver, Willard Creech, told the interviewer that he didn't know who the woman was, but he was in the car with them, and she had been asking Bobby all of these questions, like the ones from earlier about his pets and all of that. I wonder Um, why she was asking him those. I don't know. Just like small talk to make him feel comfortable? I'm not sure. I don't know. Hmm. It's weird to me. But that's all the driver could really give them. There was no like CCTV, there's no paper trail, credit cards, anything like that. It was 1951. 1953. God. So imagine though, like today, if they got a hold of the taxi driver, yeah, that, or like the Uber driver, it right? Would, you know, it'd be a whole different ballgame today. But then that was like that was as far as they could go. He said, God. "I could give you a description of her, but yeah, that's and it. like where, yeah, and mm-hmm. obviously where I dropped her off, yeah, but." Mm-hmm. And he was working. He had another call. He couldn't, you know, and he had no reason to stick around and watch them. He didn't no. know. And uh, she obviously paid in cash. That's mm-hmm. what they had yep. so. in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so back to the dipshits and what they did right after murdering Bobby. They stopped at the same bar they'd stopped at that morning, of course. And Carl switched the license plates on Bonnie's car once again back to the original ones. Bonnie went inside for a drink, and while Carl was switching the plates, he had to double-check that there wasn't any blood dripping out of the back of the car, because remember, Bobby's body is still in the back of the station wagon. Since Carl had blood all over himself and all over his clothes, he couldn't go into the bar. Once Bonnie was done drinking, they drove to her house in St. Joseph. Bonnie's house had this basement garage, you know, where, like, you drive down a little bit. Yeah. And you pull in there. <laughs> Just into like the that. basement. Just yeah. like that with the hand <laughs> motion and everything. When you're driving, you, you have to go like that. You too. have to go like that. Yeah. Every time you pull into your basement garage, you got to do the mm-hmm. hand wave. Yep. I wish I could see it. And so Carl pulled the car in into the basement garage. Bonnie went inside through the front door. She unlocked the inside door to the basement so Carl could bring Bobby's body inside through the back porch and into the backyard without being seen. Carl removed Bobby's Jerusalem cross pin, placed placed his body into the grave that had already been dug, and covered him with lime. He started filling the grave with dirt, and he took a break halfway through to go wash out the station wagon. I think he was 
manic at this point. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to make sure he got, like, yeah. all the evidence was gone. And then he made Bonnie finish filling in the grave so that he could go mail the ransom letter before the mail was picked up. Bonnie was having a fit trying to fill the grave up the rest of the way. And she's, like, fucking around with it. She's trying to get the dirt back in when Carl calls. He calls her collect from a drugstore. He told her not to worry. Everything's going according to plan. He dropped the ransom letter off in a mailbox on the corner of 39th and Broadway. He stopped at a bar on his way back to Bonnie's house. And when he got back to her house, he cleaned the blood up in the basement. He got rid of the revolver shells by incinerating them. And then he took his suit to the dry cleaners. He told the person that was working there that the blood was just from an an accident, just a generic excuse. Um, But I guess the shirt he was wearing with the suit wasn't worth taking to the dry cleaners because he just washed that at Bonnie's house. And that night, Carl and Bonnie just hung out at her house, drank some fucking more whiskey, and watched TV. Pathetic. Mm -hmm. So only nine hours after Bobby was kidnapped, the ransom letter was delivered to the Greenlee's house. Oh, wow. Yeah, quick mail. Yeah. (laughs) Real quick mail. Even though the address was wrong, they still figured out where it was supposed to go, and it got there. And I'm going to read you exactly what it said. Okay. It said, your boy has been kidnapped. Get $600,000 in 20s, 10s, Federal Reserve notes from all 12 districts. We realize it takes a few days to get that amount. Boy will be in good hands. When you have money ready, put ad in KC star M. We'll meet you this week in Chicago. Signed, Mr. G. Do not call police or try to use chemicals on bills or take numbers. Do not try to use any radio to catch us or boy dies. If you try to trap us, your wife and your other child and yourself will be killed. You will be watched all of the time. You will be told later how to contact us with money. When you get this note, let us know by driving up and down Main Street between 29 and 39 for 20 minutes with white rag on car aerial. I think the aerial is like the antenna. I'm not positive though. If do exactly as we say and try no tricks, (laughs) your boy... Sorry. (laughs) Your boy will be back safe within 24 hours after we check money. Deliver money in army doofle bag. Oh, no. Be ready to deliver at once on contact. M. $400,000 in 20s, $200,000 in 10s. So, yeah. I don't like the fact. A A complete mess. mess. Yeah, complete fucking shit show just like they are as human beings. But I don't like that they gave those parents hope Uh about their son. Oh, yeah. And it gets worse. No. Uh Fuck. I mean, not worse than Bobby dying, but worse for the parents, I think. I feel like. So the next morning, Carl was still worried and cleaning shit up at Bonnie's house. Just, you know, like scuttering around like Mm -hmm. what else can i wipe down what else can he still fucking misses shit because he's an idiot um bonnie was hungover as shit they both were but carl was just thinking nonstop, making sure he did everything right he didn't miss anything and that's when he realized like shit i wrote the wrong address on the ransom letter so he's like we we gotta send another one we gotta do it again so bonnie helped him write the second letter but in this one they included bobby's jerusalem cross pin with the letter They went and bought some fresh plants. They brought them home. They planted them on top of Bobby's grave. Later on, they went to the bar again, and then they went to mail the second ransom letter. Carl stopped somewhere else in town to use a phone to call the Greenlee's house, 
one of the Greenlease's business associates answered. So they have, like I said, there's a lot of family, friends, there's detectives, cops, everybody at the Greenlease house. They have people that they know, family, friends, or whoever deal with them. Oh, okay. Pretty much. Just so you know, like, so, because they're sent on, like, a wild goose chase. So they don't go themselves. They send people. So this business associate answers the phone. And Carl asked, did you get my note? Are you, are you getting the money ready? And the associate told him yes and yes. So since a lot of scumbags were calling the Greenlee's house pretending to be the abductors. Ugh, I fucking hate that. Yeah, why? Why? Why do that? What do you what? get out of that? They were getting a lot of these prank calls. So this business associate and Carl agreed that any calls between the Greenlee's house and Carl would follow a strict protocol. This was so that the police were listening. They didn't want to mistake a real call from the real abductors with someone just trying to pull a sick prank. So they decided that every time Carl called, like they didn't know his name was Carl, but yeah, they decided sure. that every time they got a call from this guy, he would be asked to identify himself and say his name was M. Ribbon. As in the ribbon, the pin ribbon. Oh, yeah. honey. So the second letter, it arrived at the Greenlee's house and it pretty much said exactly what the first letter said, but it had Bobby's ribbon, like I said. So that's when the, everyone kind of knew that these were the real people. Yeah. Or they're the ones that have Bobby. So they set up around the clock phone base so they wouldn't miss a call. And Robert Sr. decided that he was going to comply with, with Carl's demands. And he had the president of the Kansas City branch of the Federal Reserve Bank order that $600,000 be taken from all 12 Federal Reserve Banks. That was so that Carl wanted that for the serial numbers so that they weren't all like this from the same place mm. because you know he knew that they would be tracking wow. those bills. I'm those surprised bills. he even knew stuff I know, like that. I know. So Must be from probably talking to other inmates while probably. he was in prison. I, yeah. Not like you could research on Google. Right, yeah. <laughs> So the $600,000 was ordered to be taken from all 12 banks under a very strict secrecy, and it took 80 bank clerks working all night long to get together the 40,000 separate pieces of currency. Wow. And then on October 3rd, a Greenlease associate went and collected it, all the money, and they put the ad in the Kansas City Star, like Carl said to. It said, M, meet me in Chicago Sunday, G. G for Greenlease. Mm-hmm. So Carl had been waiting on pins and needles for this ad to appear in the newspaper. So when he saw it, he called the Greenlease house right away to tell them how to drop off the money. When the associate in the house answered, he asked Carl if Bobby was okay. Carl said he's fine, but he's homesick. Carl said that he was really earning that ransom money because Bobby was a handful. And keep in mind, Bobby was dead at this point and had been dead for a few days. So Carl told this associate what to do with the money and told him it was going to happen that night. Carl did basically was he marked off a route that the Greenlees camp was supposed to follow. He taped notes in weird places like underneath mailboxes with instructions on where to go next, like this fucking horrific scavenger hunt. The final stop where the money was to be left was at an alcove in the First Brethren Church. So two Greenlees associates went to the first location in the middle of the night they found the next note, and this is the one that told them to leave the duffel bag at the church alcove. Sure, sure. It said, leave money here, drive straight home, boy fine if money okay. He will be home in 24 hours. No. Yep. 
So the two associates made it to the church. It was really early in the morning and newspaper delivery boys were already like starting their routes. So they decided it wasn't safe to drop off the money because they would be seen. Yeah. They left a note for Carl instead saying something like the money had only just become available that morning. They had to get it first. Some bullshit excuse. Yeah. And it said for Carl to call the Greenlee's house with instructions on what they should do. Carl, eventually, he did call the house. They told him the instructions confused them. They had to get the money, yada, yada. And Carl just said, I'll call you later. So Carl and Bonnie go check into this motel in North Kansas City under different names. And Carl made good on his promise to call the Green Leases back. This time, Virginia talked to him. Mom. Oh. This is how that went. So Virginia told Carl, we have the money, but we must know our boy is alive and well. Can you give me that? Can you give me anything that will make me know that? Carl said, a reasonable request, but to be frank with you, the boy has been just about to drive us crazy. We couldn't risk taking him to a phone. Virginia said, well, I can imagine that. Would you do this? Would you ask him two questions? Give me the answer to these two questions and we could follow instructions and have everything ready if I had the answer to those two questions. I would know my boy is alive. Carl said, all right. Virginia said, ask him, what is the name of our driver in Europe this summer? Carl said, all right. Virginia said, do you have that? He says, yes. Virginia said, and the second question, what did you build with your monkey blocks in your playroom the last night you were home? Now, one reason I'm asking you this is because we have other people who claim they have Bobby. And if I can get the answers from you, I'll know you have him and he's alive, which is the thing you know I want. Carl said, we have the boy. He's alive. Believe me, he's been driving us nuts. Virginia said, I can imagine that. He's such an active youngster. Virginia goes on to ask Carl if he can just like do that for her, please. And Carl says, all right, again, and hangs up. He calls her back in the middle of the night saying he spoke to his people, quote unquote people, who were holding Bobby. And he said that they asked Bobby those questions, but Bobby clammed up and wouldn't speak. So they go back and forth, Virginia saying she needs proof, Carl saying we have him, Virginia <laughs> saying I don't fucking believe you, right? Virginia saying we're ready to pay, we just need proof, Carl getting pissed off saying you'll get him back when we get the money, etc. Carl called back with instructions for another fucking scavenger hunt with instructions on where to drop off the money. This one was botched too. God. Carl had drunk written the notes. The Greenlease associates had no fucking clue where to go, and when they finally found the spot they thought was the money deposit, like drop-off site, they left the duffel bag there. Carl either didn't remember where he said to leave the money, or he fucked up the instructions so badly that the associates got it wrong, and he went to where he thought the money would be, but he couldn't find it. The Greenleases weren't about to let that money be like picked up by some random person, so two hours after they made the drop, they went back and got it. I was going to say, they should have just fucking staked it out. I know. I know. I think they didn't want to, like, get caught staking it out and risk Bobby's life. But it's like, Carl, like, if you want this fucking money right. so badly, put the bottle down, write a coherent letter, right. you absolute waste. So the next day, Carl drunk calls the Greenlee's house several times, still not following through on Virginia's request for proof of life. And at this point, everyone was kind of assuming that Bobby was already dead. Really? Um, they didn't want to admit it, though. They still wanted to cooperate with Carl. 
like on the off chance that Bobby was alive. So they were still going to do what he wanted them to do just in case, like that sliver of a chance. So Carl and Bonnie had checked into another motel at this point, And when Carl called the house again, the Greenlease camp was like, let's get this over with. It's getting ridiculous. Carl said that he would give them another set of instructions for the money drop and he'd send them a telegram with Bobby's location so that they could pick him up. The guy that was talking to Carl from the Greenlees house said, quote, This idea of climbing a tree and looking in a bird's nest for a note, then climbing on your belly somewhere, looking for something under a rock with a red, white, and blue ribbon around it, it's getting tiresome. Mm-hmm. We don't have to play ball that way. And Carl's like, don't you worry, I'm not going to fuck things up this time. So what does Carl do? Fuck things up again. Yeah, of course. He gave them these like horrifically bad instructions, making them drive all over hell. And finally, they were to drop the money off by this wooden bridge somewhere. After dropping off the money, they were supposed to go to this hotel 100 miles away. And that's where the telegram with Bobby's location would come through. But Carl couldn't exactly remember the name of the hotel. Something Shire, maybe. He couldn't remember what street it was on, but they figured it out. And it ended up with the Green Leases successfully making the money drop in the right spot and Carl and Bonnie picking the money up. They did. I think they even passed each other, but wow. they had no idea right, who was who, you know. So Carl calls the Green Lease camp. He tells them he got the money and said to get to that hotel and the telegram would be there in the morning. They asked again, is Bobby okay? Carl says, yes, he's fine. He's full of piss and vinegar and tell his mom she'll be seeing him in 24 hours. Aww. Yeah. So the two Greenlease associates get to the hotel and when it's time, they head to the telegraph office. They waited for two days, but the telegraph that was supposed to give them Bobby's location never came and we all know why. Right. So Carl and Bonnie had taken off to St. Louis, drunk and high on morphine, with nothing except for that duffel bag filled with $600,000, equal to $10 million, as a reminder. <clears throat> and they end up renting this small apartment. And one thing leads to another. Bonnie's too drunk to know what's going on, pretty much, and Carl's, like, freaking the fuck out. He's starting to go off the rails, like, about getting caught. Yeah. Now he's paranoid. And he ended up leaving Bonnie a note while she was passed out saying, the girl across the hall looks suspicious. He told her, just stay here. Keep your head down. He didn't say where he was going, but he said he had to move stuff. He was very, very paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. And he told her just to stay there. They'll bring you food if you call for it. So he meets up with a connection that he had there in St. Louis, which wouldn't be my first thing that I would do, I don't think. Yeah. But, um... But he meets up with this guy and Carl was kind of beating around the bush saying like in a roundabout way that he wanted to fuck. His connection was like, well, I know a guy who might be able to help you. He introduced Carl to a man named Oliver Hager and Oliver was a pimp for a sex worker named Sandra O'Day. Oliver told Carl, I can hook you up basically like she'll go out with you, show you a good time, you pay her well. And at this point, it was clear to Oliver that Carl had a shit ton of money. Yeah. He was flashing it around like they had gone out the night before, just him and just the two guys. He was paying for drinks with like a 20 and telling him to keep the change. That was a lot. So it was clear to this guy like, wow, Carl's got a shit ton of fucking money. And he knew that he would pay Sandra really, really well. And he knew that he was going to get a chunk of that. So he was invested at this point. Yeah. Carl and Sandra ended up spending the night together, and Sandra was, like, expecting to have to screw him, but Carl hadn't slept in a few days, so he pretty much told her, like, that's the last thing I want right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. He actually told her something vague about how he 
wanted to pay her this money and buy her what she needed or what she wanted if she would do something for him. He wanted her to go all the way out to LA with a letter and mail it for him. I think it was like to throw police off his trail if they were ever on his trail, which they weren't yet. Or, like, establish some sort of, like, alibi, like, I was in California. Yeah. How else would this letter have gotten mailed, you know? Right. So he wanted to pay her to fly out there and mail a letter. Wow. So Oliver was actually supposed to be driving her to the airport. Mm -hmm. They got to talking. Oliver remembered that Carl alluded to the fact that he was from St. Joseph. He knew St. Joseph was only about an hour from Kansas City, where Bobby Greenlease was kidnapped. It was the number one news story. He knew that Carl had these trunks full of thousands upon thousands of dollars and it all started to click with him what ended up happening was oliver wanted more of that money yeah he (laughs) decided that in order to get the money he had to double cross carl he worked with the police to set up a sting and carl was quickly arrested oh damn and from what i gathered oliver and these officers that he worked with were kind of like in each other's pockets there might have been some mafia shit going on i don't really know but there's this whole other story to this that half of that ransom money is missing really to this day yeah wow so there's they think so he got police and him kind of split it wow we don't really know for sure it's never been proven or nobody's ever admitted anything so yikes so carl's in a cell in jail alone going through alcohol withdrawals morphine withdrawals good and he was really just worse for wear i like like that yeah Not that I care, but I think his state of being and state of mind was really what made him say yes when they asked if if he was wanted in connection to the Bobby Greenlease kidnapping. Yeah. Um, He didn't straight up confess. He pulled the name Tom Marsh right out of his ass and said, it was him. I was there, but it was Tom Marsh. He's a deranged pedophile, a predator, a drug addict. And Carl said that's who he left Bobby with, and that's who was supposed to be watching Bobby this whole time. Like, we all know it's bullshit. There's no Tom Marsh. He didn't exist. Carl didn't say a thing about Bobby being dead. So at this point, they think he's abducted and being held somewhere. God damn. Mm-hmm. He only confessed to kidnapping him at this point. Then he brought up Bonnie because he sure as fuck wasn't going to take this whole thing on himself. Mm-hmm. Could have called he, that one. Yeah. He told the police that he and Bonnie had every intention of returning Bobby once they'd gotten the money. Just a whole string of bullshit lies. Just a bunch of lies. I would expect nothing less from this piece of trash. So then they went and found Bonnie at the apartment Carl told her to stay in. She did as he said, stay there and drink. They arrested her as well. The thing was, when they brought her in, she overheard the officers talking about what Carl told them, the lies about Tom Marsh. So then she's like, that's my story too. She knew exactly what to say. During the further interrogation with Carl, he finally admitted that Bobby was dead and buried in Bonnie's backyard. But it was Tom Marsh. He did it. Yeah, sure. Tommy Marsh. So reports started buzzing that the Bobby Greenlees kidnappers had been caught and Bobby was in fact dead. And this news made it back to the Greenlees residence. The FBI called to tell them that the reports were true. And I just, like I said, it's horrific and unimaginable to yeah. lose a child, but to like have that little bit of hope left. That's what kills me. For so me. long. That's what fucking kills yeah. me. You mm-hmm. know, I fucking hate when people have hope when they shouldn't and when people are disappointed. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. oh my God, I just can't, I don't, oh I don't my God. think I would be able to accept it until I like knew for sure. Right. I would, I would have hope. Right. I just can't imagine. I don't want to. No. That poor, I, I keep saying and thinking that poor mother, but I mean that poor whole family. Yeah. I just can't. I obviously can 
relate more to the mom because I'm a mom. Right. But it's just, I can't, oh my God, that and feeling. And imagine like thinking we can fix this. Right. We have the money. Right. Right. How lucky are we? Yeah. We can actually pay this and get our son back. Yep. No, I can't. So, yep. I can't. It's horrible. It makes my fucking stomach hurt. Later that morning, the FBI found Bobby's remains in that shallow grave in Bonnie's backyard while several hundred onlookers watched. There was like... Like, no. They had this like thin rope there to keep them back and all the only cover they had was like this thin row of hedges. But people like were on their stomachs trying to see underneath the hedges. They brought ladders. so disgusting. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Oh, I fucking hate mm. that. Bobby was positively identified through dental records, and he was laid to rest at Forest Hills Cemetery. So inside of Bonnie's house, they found all of the blood that Carl missed, because he's stupid. What a dumbass. Um, They found bloody clothes, and in Bonnie's Plymouth, they found a lead bullet that they were able to match to Carl's Smith & Wesson revolver. So probably the one that missed. Yeah, probably. And the thing was, they really kind of, they believed Carl and Bonnie about Tom Marsh. Because the FBI had a man who was a pedophile named Tom Marsh in their database. It wasn't this guy. Carl pulled that name right out of his butthole. He didn't know him. They had no connection. But since there was really a Tom Marsh, because Carl's like, he's got tattoos and he's just this deranged freak. The Tom Marsh they had had tattoos and was a deranged freak. Their their real one is not involved whatsoever. But that's why they were clinging on to that. Because yeah. they're like, oh, we, okay, we've got him. We just have to find him. Right. No, pathetic. And like the newspapers were even reporting that this Tom Marsh, they got his picture. Oh, put my it on the God. Front page. Is he this in, is who killed oh, so Bobby Greenlees? Like, is he like um out of prison on something? Is I'm, he wanted? I'm not sure at this point, but... They do research, they do digging, they realize he's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. So on October 11th, they found Bonnie's hat that had blown off her head at the murder scene. Mm. They found blood left over there. And finally, finally, on October 12th, both Carl and Bonnie broke down and confessed to everything. Oh, wow. After being aggressively questioned about like the ballistics, the bullet in Bonnie's car, all of those other pieces of evidence that they were slowly putting together. And I think they were both having withdrawals. All the prob- all the detectives probably had to do was be like, I'll bring you in some whiskey and right. just tell me what really happened. Yeah. And, and that book that I read, it said that Carl was just puking nonstop. He had to go to the hospital at one point and he admitted to the sure doctor he that he was coming down from morphine. Yeah. And sent him right back to jail. Just had to live through it, which good. I'm glad he did. Good. Yeah, Absolutely. Both Carl and Bonnie were handed federal charges because in federal court, they could be tried together and a lot faster. Sure. So if for some reason they were acquitted, the state could then bring up state charges. So they were really making sure that they were going away forever. Their trial began on November 16th, 50 days after Bobby was murdered. The trial only lasted for three days. And the jury found them both guilty after eight minutes of deliberation. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Carl and Bonnie were both sentenced to death in the gas chamber at the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City, Missouri on December 18, 1953. Wow. Robert Greenlee Sr. said, quote, It's too good for them, but it's the best the law provides. End quote. Carl and Bonnie were executed side by side. So, Robert and Virginia Greenlees found comfort in their faith. They visited Bobby's grave frequently. Robert Sr. passed away in 1969 at the age of 87. 
and Virginia passed away in 2001 at the age of 91. Bobby's older brother, Paul, the one from his father's previous marriage to adult kid, and his sister, Virginia, who struggled with drug addiction, never really got over what happened to their little brother, and they both passed away in their 40s. Oh my god. That's yeah, terrible. That's, that's it. That's what I got on Bobby Greenlee's. Oh, that's sad, And man. these two fucking deranged pieces of shit. Awful. Who killed him for no reason. That was another heavy episode. Yeah. That poor little baby. I know. That for poor no little reason. baby. But yeah. you know what? If I'm trying to think of any silver linings that can be found, if all of that had to happen, mm-hmm. there's no other way around it. I'm grateful that he passed away on impact. Yeah. And I'm grateful that they didn't like sit and torture him that whole I time. Know. I know. And but could you imagine how scared he yeah. could have been internally? Yeah. Oh, Look I hate him. that. Look how cute he was. Oh, honey. He is yeah. a little cutie, but oh. Yeah. And I'm glad that they didn't really get to spend their fucking money. No. Fucking <laughs> bastards. <laughs> I'm glad to. <sighs> Fuck them. All right. So are you reading, watching, or listening to anything? Yes. Well, okay, let's get reading out of the way first. I finished three books. Oh, my God. In the past week. Oh, my God. Yeah. Audiobooks? I, two were audiobooks. One was an ebook. The ebook was Like, Follow, Kill. I think oh, I yeah. mentioned it on the last episode. I just didn't, I hadn't finished it. Um, It was okay. Yeah. It was okay. Uh, There was, I kind of, the twist at the end was not believable to me mm-hmm. there it had a part that was not believable to me um i had been listening to for a few weeks girl gone mad by avery bishop and honestly that one was very boring to me was it <laughs> it and it's like all over the place it's a traditionally published fucking what's, everywhere book do girl you have the cover yeah what's it look like oh i think i might have seen that yeah okay um it was very boring to me. I don't know. Normally, like, the premise sounded really good. It was about, like, these fucking mean girls in high school. And then they started oh, yeah. all dying one by one later in life. Okay. But it just didn't didn't, didn't really tickle my fancy. No. It didn't get and you hot in the crotch. Didn't get me hot in the crotch. And the third one I listened to on audiobook, and that is The Wife Stalker by Liv Constantine. I listen or I read everything by Liv Constantine. That's a duo, a reader duo too. Oh, is it? I mean, an author duo too. Uh, two women. And okay. I have liked like the last Mrs. Parrish and mm-hmm. the last time I saw you, I liked those books a lot. Um, in the beginning of this one, The Wife Stalker, it had a very, very unbelievable thing happen. Yeah. And I was like, like unbelievable this... as in like it didn't yeah. work or. Yeah, it just did oh, okay. not work. Like, Basically, these two people fell in love and like they met and fell in love on two pages yeah. right here. Yeah. It's like, how do you fall in love with someone that quickly? Right. It's like I was thinking to myself, like she this is a tra- traditionally published book that editor should have fucking caught that mm-hmm. that was very unbelievable. But at the end, you find out why. Oh, so okay. it actually does work. But you don't All know right. until the well, end. Then I hope people don't just. I know. I know. I know. Because huh. I bet if that was an ebook, I would have put it down. But yeah. Um. Since I was huh. listening to it and I didn't have anything else to listen to. Yeah. Um, so you liked that one? I did like that one. I have started reading You. I never actually read You. I didn't either. Um, I just watched the the series. Yeah. The first two um, seasons. But I'm actually going back and reading that now. And okay. I started watching Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you... I sound happy when I said <laughs> no. that? No. Do you hate it? Um, I'm not... Uh, 
I'm not, well, I'm certainly not loving it, but mm-hmm. I'm also not hating it. Yeah. It's just going to like middle of the road for me. If I didn't watch it ever again, I'd be fine. Mm. Um, But I'm watching it. I'm on the second episode. Okay. And I've been reporting to you and Dee via Instagram yeah. <laughs> how I feel about things. I think you'll feel a little bit, a little bit better about it yeah. as it goes on. That I one dude will. that wants to marry her so bad, oh, Daphne, <laughs> so bad, yeah. is just fucking gross. Yeah. But that other man Things is get a little crazy with him. It gets, I mean, it's drama, drama. Yeah. It really is. And I love drama when the it doesn't Duke, involve me. Yeah. The Duke Hastings or whatever his name is. I don't know what He's his name so is. He's so fucking hot. He's very good looking. And um, he just punched him in the face or like yeah. oh, multiple times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like in the tunnel or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. what about you? What are you reading, um, watching, and listening? Not a shit ton. I read that Zero at the Bone for this episode. Oh, yes. Um, and I read one chapter of The Wrong Family. The Wrong Family? Is that what it is? By Tara. Yeah. By Tara. I should have mentioned that, too. I liked the first chapter. I just haven't had a moment to go on. Yeah. Um, that's it for books. I did listen to the... Um, I did listen to the Crime Junkie episode on the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre, Ooh. which I had never heard about. And that's a crazy story. That's a yeah, good one. I've never... I, you, I'll listen to that one. If you need a podcast to listen to. It's only like um, 15... It's under an hour. So it's not a super big commitment there. Um, that's about it. I haven't done a whole lot because I've really took a dive into this case. Yeah. Um, I do want to make mention really quick that the postcards for Bianca, Cassie, and Casey all went out today. I think that that's basically it. Thank you to our Patreon. Thank you if you're just listening. Thank you. For sharing. For sharing. Thank you for leaving a review. We love everybody in your own way. How about that hamster that stuck into fucking Whoa, Pound Town? fucking Tom I Cruise. mean, Poundland. Poundland. Pound Whatever. <laughs> little Tommy Cruise. Tom Cruise, the hamster. If you are in wherever he was from. Scotland. <laughs> yeah, Scotland. If you are in Scotland and you are Tom Cruise's uh, owner, go fucking pick him up. Get him some You know what is hilarious? That was probably from 10 years ago. <laughs> I, want okay. you to, I want you to look really quick. I'm going to. Oh, that was from January 4th, 2021. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully, we'll get an update on here. Hopefully, Tom Cruise is being fed some damn candy. I hope so. It's all he wants. Anywho, where can they find us, Katie? You can find us on Instagram at Cruel and Unusual the Pod. You can send us an email at Cruel and Unusual the Pod at gmail.com. I tweet. She tweets. At Cruel Unusual Pod. You can check out our merch, um, all that good shit at crueleincmedia.com. And join our Facebook group that is Cruel and Unusual colon the group on Facebook. What else? Do we have? I send don't us, recall. Send us your stories. Do that. Your ghost stories. The time you got arrested. The time you got pulled over and shit your pants. <laughs> Any time that is interesting at all, send it. We're going to do an episode all about them, but we need your stories. Yeah, we need them. What is our email? Did you already say it? Okay. You guys, if you didn't hear it like I did, just backtrack a little bit. Okay, guys. I think that that might be it until next week. We love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.